Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. What's up, my friends? Jason Jimenez. So glad to be with you guys here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Today is podcast 117, and we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 4. Now, just to bring you up to speed, in Acts chapter 3, we discovered this bold faith that Peter had when he approached the layman. He was a beggar outside of the temple. And Peter and John, in customary fashion, were going to pray. And this man was asking for alms. He was asking for people to graciously and generously give to help him survive. And I love that story for multiple reasons. And if you missed it, you can always go to standstrongministries.org, click on podcast. And we also are now filming this. So if you are listening to the audio, but you've never seen the videos, you can go to Jason P. Jimenez and you can check out uh, when you click on the playlist acts and you can get all the videos there Um, that we're making now available for people. And then we have the notes as well on the website. But when we looked at Acts 3, we saw that Peter acknowledged, he says, listen, I'm not a wealthy man. I don't have much. But one thing I do have in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And what did Peter do? He didn't just turn around and leave. Now remember, he didn't even ignore him. He stared and gazed at this man. But he looked at him and he reached out his hand for the man to grab a hold because he had faith to know that you reach out to my hand and I will pull you up because Jesus Christ has already healed you. And, and, and when we see the power of the Spirit move through Peter, that transferring that power, him, he's a vessel and he transforms you know, this, this man because of his faith, because of his love, because of his concern. And now we go into Acts chapter 4. Of course, we know there was a huge audience because a man went to go offer his his sacrifice, his thanksgiving in the temple. It drew a crowd. And there Peter preaches the gospel again. So things are heating up. And now we're going to see some major persecution that's going to take place with Peter and John. Now, this is the first account separate from, you know, Jesus, of course, that we're seeing the apostles who are being hated and are being chased down. And Jesus forewarned them. He says, because they hated me, they'll hate you. Because they have persecuted me, they will persecute you. And he says, there will be a divide. And that is certainly the case with the council that we're going to be seeing. And so as we go into Acts 4, I don't know what you know your backstory is, how you came to Christ. If, in fact, you are a Christian, obviously this podcast is devoted for Christians who are, who are disciples of Christ. You want to be grounded in his word. And so... Whatever the case may be, one of the things that I want us to look at is persecution in and of itself. You know, through the years as a pastor and apologist and traveling the globe, there have been times when I've had heated discussions. I've had people make, you know, some indirect threats to me. I've had people say some vile things. I've, I've had people tell me in letters and emails how much they hate my guts because of my certain stance on something or they, they didn't feel that I am, am teaching the Bible properly and I'm a false teacher or whatever the case may be. I've had people, uh, you know, from extreme Muslim standpoints, when I put out videos and they've, they've sent messages to me and that are, they're very threatening. I know many friends of mine who are in ministry, uh, missionaries around the world who are being way more persecuted than I've ever experienced. The point is, whether it's through prosecution or persecution, 
no matter what you and I face, we are not to give up. And when we are being challenged because we are followers of Jesus Christ, we are to rejoice in that. And that's what we're going to be seeing today. So I hope and pray, my friend, if you have privatized your faith, if you have not been a bold witness, if you've been ashamed, if you've been very quiet and you're listening to this right now, I pray this will encourage you to be a bold witness as our title for this passage is how to be a bold witness for Christ and that you would take that in and it will change your life. Now, if you're listening to this and you have been persecuted, currently you're going through something right now because you are proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ and people are after you and they're trying to silence you and you're here wanting to be refreshed and emboldened and encouraged to continue to stand strong in your faith. Thank you for what you're doing. We need more men and women like you. Our young generation needs to see people who are boldly and passionately proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, even explicitly. And that, and remember, the gospel, the truth of Jesus is offensive. I just got off the phone recently with a friend of mine who's in ministry and has a huge social media following. And he had sent me a thing because he was posting something about pro-life. And he was showing me all the hate that people have for him because of his stance. My friends, that's the reality. But we cannot let the fear of man prevent us in our reverence before God to silence the message that Christ has given us to proclaim to the world. So as we dive in right now in Acts chapter 4, I pray this will encourage you and cause you to become a great champion for the faith. So if you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 4. Now it's 37 verses. So I'm going to uh, break it apart in five different sections. In each section, we're going to see this building as they, Peter and John, that is, proclaim the gospel. We see the tension arise. We see the threatening come and they have an ultimatum. And as they continue to make decisions according to what Christ has willed them to do, we see that oppression come. But yet in the end of this phase of persecution, we will see them rejoicing, finding themselves not worthy to be presenting the gospel and living the life that they're living because they're just mere vessels, because they are so in love with Jesus. And I love that, my friends. I pray that as we look at this passage, that we won't look at it in the sense of, well, what do I get out of it? But rather, if I love Jesus, I will do what he's called me to do, plain and simple. And I hear a lot of Christians, especially in the American church these days, they're always justifying why they're not as bold or why they can't ever get to doing that sort of ministry or, or, or leading someone to Christ or, or making time to even disciple another fellow brethren. So let's put aside the excuses. Let's learn from Peter and John. Let's see how the Holy Spirit used them, that we would be encouraged that the Holy Spirit would use us likewise. So in Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 12, notice here we see Peter and John are arrested and they're brought before the council. So it says here, and as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name do you do this? Verse 8. 
Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation, and no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Wow. So there's a lot of stuff here. One of the things I want to draw your attention to is notice when they're speaking to the people, the priests now, they come to hear Peter and John. And these priests, these are serving in the temple. So they're in their rotation, okay, as, as, as the priests and Levites um, did. But notice also the captain of the temple. Now, the captain of the temple is second to the high priest. And notice also the Sadducees are there. Now, remember, the Sadducees, they were the wealthy priestly leadership. And they came upon Peter and John, and they're greatly annoyed. Okay, they're so perturbed. They, they were astonished that they were publicly giving the message about Jesus. When, remember, they've been debating since the supposed resurrection, right, of Jesus appearing post-mortem, and then his disciples are going out, and they're proclaiming the gospel now we see on the day of Pentecost. So this is weeks, if not a few months later, and you're seeing them still proclaiming the name of Jesus. Now, there's a healing on top of all this, a healing right outside the temple that people witnessed of the layman. So it draws attention of these religious leaders. Now, the captain of the temple is a harsh ruler of the Sadducees. So this man is no nonsense. And notice they're upset because they're proclaiming Jesus risen from the dead. This is very important because the Sadducees, remember, they denied a resurrection. They did not believe in a resurrection. They only accepted the Torah. So they stayed true to the first five books of the Jewish scriptures. Therefore, they came to silence Peter and John from speaking about a, a miracle done in the name of Jesus. So they arrest them, we're told in verse 3, and they put them in custody until the next day. Now, why do they do that? Well, because the religious leaders, they had to detain Peter and John, one, to silence them because they were teaching false doctrine in their opinion, but they couldn't hold a trial, so they held them overnight because it was sunset and the law prohibited them to hold any trial. Now, remember, if you go back to Jesus, what did they do? They illegally got together and held a trial for hours after sunset to uh, condemn Jesus and then take that case, you know, after they said, this is what we, we found this guy to be guilty because of blasphemy, saying he's, he's greater than Caesar, so they can take that before Pontius first thing in the morning. Well, here they hold off with Peter and John. They wait for the next day. Now, notice in verse 4, it says, and many of those who heard the word believed. So at this point, because of the layman who was saved, because it drew a crowd and Peter Again, boldly proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many more people are coming uh, to be saved. And matter of fact, guess what? We're told 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, 5,000. Now, let me pause and say this. A lot of times when you expect God to be moving in a greater way because there's a greater amount of people and he doesn't. And there's other times when you're faithful just to give a gift, just to extend generosity and God moves in a greater way than he did when there were thousands of people around you. 5,000 people came to Christ. Now, many of these were Judean Jews who, who put their faith and trust in Christ. Now, 
at this point since Pentecost, many little newfound churches were popping up and had gained a sizable number of new converts in the heart of Jerusalem. So I believe that a lot of the Jews that were still coming to the temple, just like Peter and John were to pray, again, not to observe the law like they once did as they were transitioning, if you was, as Messianic Jews, right? There were a lot of Jews since the day of Pentecost who were going around, who were converted and baptized that day, and they were proclaiming the gospel. But remember, primarily God's using the apostles and this healing of this layman is evident that great signs are taking place now through these followers of Jesus Christ. So on the next day, their rulers in verse five and elders and scribes, so they're getting all the big dogs. Everyone assembles and they're gathered together in Jerusalem. Notice the entire highly priestly families there, Annas, Caiaphas, John, Alexander. So the rulers, the elders, the scribes, they comprised of of 71 members of the Sanhedrin. You see this in Matthew 16, 21 and Matthew 26, verse three. And because of the healing of this lame man, and because they're talking about Jesus, who purportedly rose from the dead, they hadn't recovered the body. And the disciples continued to go on with this nonsense. And they're talking about the resurrection. And now they have a healing that took place that was undeniable. It drew attention of the Sanhedrin by Annas himself. Annas, remember, he, he ruled from 86 through 15. And so... Um, he's there. Caiaphas now is ruling from 18 to 80, 36. And, and he was the acting high priest during this time, but Annas was very influential. And so he was called in as well, as we saw with the, the prosecution, if you will, of Jesus before he was crucified. In verse seven, and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired. So they had already put together a list of questions that they were going to challenge Peter and John. Now, of course, this is the Sanhedrin. They got the scribes, they got the, the, the high priest, the high priestly family there, the high priest himself, the captain of the temples, the one that, that, that had these men arrested. They're going to win the case, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's an open and shut case. No question when they're going to inquire and put these guys in their place, it's going to end any disruption that they're having in the temple. They acknowledge the miracle, but they didn't know how it came about. That's, that's interesting, isn't it? They, they don't deny the miracle, but they question how it happened. So notice in verse eight, Peter filled, in Greek it means he was intensely in the presence with the Holy Spirit. So talk about being in tune with the Holy Spirit. And he stands up to them and he begins to acknowledge them as rulers of the people and elders. But he says, we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man. He wasn't saying, look, you couldn't do this. Of course, that's the case, right? They couldn't do that because they know faith in Jesus Christ. But he doesn't belittle them, but he says, I did something because Jesus told me to do this. This man was healed, meaning he was saved, he was delivered. So he's saying in the Greek, he was not just healed physically, but he was also healed spiritually. So he says, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So again, once again, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. That's always key. So I'm telling you, my friends, when you want to be bold in your witness for Christ, you need to be asking desperately for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. I wrote a book called Stand Strong in Your Faith, and there's a whole chapter uh, devoted to what does it look like when the Holy Spirit comes upon your life? Matter of fact, it's titled Living Beyond Yourself, and that's that's the key. It's based off of Romans chapter 8 and Galatians chapter 5, and we see, clearly see Peter, who's a transformed man. He's been guided by the Holy Spirit on what to say because he's in tune with the Holy Spirit. He's sensitive to the Holy Spirit. 
when he tells him that we did this good deed that was done to this crippled man, he's saying that the healing of the crippled man, it was an act of kindness. So why are we being arrested when we did an act of kindness, when we did a good thing? And he's saying, and I didn't do it. This sign of this healed man uh, that you see before us was because of Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. He's truly the Savior. He came and he healed. And now through the power of the Spirit, we're doing likewise. We're healing people of their infirmities. We're forgiving people their sins in the name of Jesus Christ. And then I love this in verse 11. To top it all off, he says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. So if you're rejecting us, it's because you reject Jesus. We serve him. He is our master, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. So what Peter does here now is he quotes from Psalm 118, verse 22, to demonstrate the scriptures predicted the religious leaders would reject the Messiah. Go back to Luke chapter 29 through 19. Jesus said that. Now, the New King James Version Study Bible says it like this, quote, the Old Testament refers to the, corner, the cornerstone as the foundation of the earth, Job 38, verse 6. The foundation, Isaiah 28, verse 16. The stone for the corner, Jeremiah 51, verse 26. The head cornerstone, Psalm 118, verse 22. Or the headstone in Zechariah 4, 7. Thus, the image of a cornerstone is used as both the chief stone and stone at the corner of a foundation. In the first century AD, the expression chief cornerstone was also used to refer to the stone placed on the summit of the Jerusalem temple. Thus, Peter used the phrase to point out that when the people rejected Jesus Christ, they rejected the one who completed the plan of God for humankind. The phrase and its significance here would have been well understood in the first century, especially among the Jewish rabbis and people who knew the scriptures, end quote. So they knew what Peter was saying. And I love this because, again, if you go back, you're thinking, man, how did Peter get to be so smart from where he was just not long ago denying Jesus, and then, of course, he's restored, and then they're waiting for the Holy Spirit, and they're afraid. Then he boldly comes in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost in front of thousands of Jews from all over the region. And then in Acts chapter 3, he approaches a man, extends his hand to heal him because he has that faith and that boldness. And then he goes and he preaches the gospel in the temple. 5,000 souls come to faith, and then here in front of all the elite of the elite, in front of the holy, highly priesthood, right? In the Sanhedrin, in front of the high priest, he's proclaiming the gospel. And notice what he says at verse 12, and there is salvation. The Greek word is soteria. There's no salvation in anybody but other, there's no salvation in anyone other than Jesus Christ, he's saying. Now, this statement affirms that Jesus Christ is Lord is Savior of the world. And as he's stating this, what he's doing in the process is he is condemning the religious institution for meddling in the affairs of God. He's rebuking them. He's correcting them. He's exhorting them. He says, you rejected this message. And now you guys are saying, by what name? Saying, we didn't authorize this. And if we didn't authorize this, this can't be of God. And Peter's saying, wait a second. You guys are meddling in the affairs of God. You're trying to control what God is up to. You, you rejected the second person of the Trinity. We come in that name. And not only that, but we also come through the power of the Holy Spirit, the third person, the Trinity. So the, the Sanhedrin, they're thinking 
this is going to be a done deal. These two little puny guys, they got nothing on us. And, and I want you guys to understand something as we're looking at this before we go to the second point where Peter and John are threatened not to speak in the name of Jesus. Oftentimes, when we look at a, cer- a, a certain situation, we see that this atheist friend or somebody is smarter. They got more degrees than maybe you do, and they were, quote unquote, once a Christian, and they can quote the Bible more than you can, whatever the case may be. I've had many college students through the years uh, asking me, how do I engage my, my, my professor? And this man's older. Uh, or she's older and they got, you know, all these PhDs, they've, they've been published in these you know, peer reviews and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just a 20 year old kid, uh, you know, who's a follower of Jesus Christ, but they just continue to rip on, on Christ and the Bible's filled with discrepancies. How do I respond? I say, you know what? You have the Holy Spirit. Okay. That's what you need. And that's all you need. We oftentimes think that we need other things. And yes, we need to continue to stand uh, strong in our faith by studying God's word and getting equipped and listening to podcasts like this and, and taking a, a great course or uh, going to a great event, a good conference to learn from experts. But the point is, be in the word of God like you're, you are right now, studying the word with me and rely on the Holy Spirit. Because notice now in verse 13, where we look at this encounter now of how they respond to Peter in John says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and notice perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a noble sign has been performed through them is evident to all of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them not to speak no more to anyone in this name. Verse 18, so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So here, when when, they, when it says here that they saw in verse 13, the boldness of Peter uh, and John, in the Greek, it's interesting because it carries the idea that they're in the midst of intimidating circumstances. So there's other things that are going on, basically. Remember, Luke is just giving a short account, but there is these intimidating circumstances of what they're doing, but Peter and John were not budging. And then it says when they perceived, I mean, they seized to grasp that they were uneducated. So that goes back to what I was saying earlier. So as they were inquiring and challenging them, intimidating them, they were realizing these men don't have a background like we do. And this word uneducated means they didn't receive any formal training other than from this uh, uh, Nazarene, you know, Jesus from Nazareth. They're common men. So they were astonished by their boldness and their intellect. Now what it says, and they recognized, meaning they previously learned that they had been with Jesus they knew that going in, so at some point, I do believe that some of the Sanhedrin and these scribes, couldn't, they didn't, weren't able to link Peter and John until after when they assembled the next day, that they, they, they learned at some point during that time as they were inquiring, how did you heal this man? Peter and John, as we know, they were Galilean fishermen, Galilean fishermen who didn't have a lot of money. They were no match to the Sanhedrin. This was going up against Michael Jordan. This was going up against LeBron. This was going up against Mike Tyson kind of thing. This was going up against Tiger Woods. 
This is going up against the best of the best. They never received formal rabbinic training. However, and this is what I was saying before, and I'm going to continue to stress this as we're going through Acts chapter 4 because this is a key point that Luke in writing this wants you and I to even know today. These two men, Peter and John, they were disciples of Jesus. They were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the Sanhedrin was no match. Just like they tried to get rid of Jesus, he rises from the dead, and now he is, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the great comforter, the great helper, has ushered in the church, has started the church, and is using them as bold witnesses. And so seeing the man that was healed standing next to them, once again, the Sanhedrin, the high priest, they reject any evidence that's pointing. They, again, they can't deny the evidence in front of them that this man was healed, and they knew that, but they were not going to give any credence. They were not going to take what Peter said and make it credible and repent of their sins. Isn't that astonishing? That's the other thing is bold witnesses, my friends. You will encounter people even when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you lay out the gospel of Jesus Christ and you are compelled to do it and you're going to, and you feel, I've been there. Man, this person, they are going to come to Jesus and they don't. They reject everything you said. Now, that doesn't mean that that person will, will never come to Jesus. But there are people, my friends, when you are a bold witness and you do what God has called you to do, that does not mean that they will freely submit. And so the Sanhedrin, they reject any evidence pointing to Jesus as the resurrected Messiah. And it says in verse 15, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they, when they were conferring, they were looking at this notable sign, the Bible says. That's, that's a manifest sign. So they're evaluating the healing itself and they couldn't deny it. And the council, they were more interested in preserving their power than the power that healed this lame man. They were recognizing that what Peter and John were doing was not approved by them, therefore it had to be wrong. Rather than looking at themselves and realizing it was undeniable what occurred we did not approve of it. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe there's something wrong in my heart. Maybe there's something wrong in the council. That didn't happen. The same dirty tactics were employed on Peter and John as were done to Jesus. When you look at Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. So they were more concerned about the power. So they're abusing power to silence Peter and John. And it says, when we cannot deny it, the Sanhedrin, they couldn't discredit the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They couldn't discredit this miracle. They couldn't deny the miracle that took place among Jesus's followers. So what do they do instead of repenting? They charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus to continue with these teachings. The council decided against flogging Peter John out of fear of the crowd that had been assembled. Remember, 5,000 new converts. This is all taking place in the temple just the day before. So there was an uproar out there and notice the council, they think that they're all mighty and powerful and yet guess what? They're intimidated. They're trying to intimidate Peter and John yet they're intimidated of the crowd and yet who was out there in front of the crowd preaching the gospel boldly, Peter and John? See my friends, that's what happens when you give your life to Christ. Now let's look at number three, Peter and John, they refuse to listen. In verse 19, it says this and Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. 
For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So here now we see in Jewish learning, remember, to listen is the same as obedience. So the two apostles, they stand against the direct order from the council and confess their allegiance to God above all else. This is Daniel. Go back to Daniel chapter 6, 4 through 10. So they're, they're reflecting the boldness of Daniel. Daniel says, look, this can be your ordinance. This can be a decree that comes from the top, but you're not higher than God himself. I will do what God has called me to do. So when Peter and John were saying uh, that if whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, meaning we're not going to be obedient to you. We're obedient to God. And if God says by following you is not being obedient to him, we're not going to listen to you. When he says, for we cannot but speak, I love that. Peter does not give an excuse. I tell people oftentimes, and it does come with a form of practice, right? And trust in the Lord. But a lot of times when people say, how are you able to do that? How are you able just to go in front of those people off the street or standing outside the movie theater, you know, or at the mall, or you see a group of Muslims and you go and you start talking to them because I can't help but speak it. One person that comes to mind is Ray Comfort. And I love his staff. A lot of them are good friends of mine. And I've always been so motivated by them when I see them just constantly, every day, every day they share the gospel with someone. They cannot help but speak. And that's what Peter's saying. Peter appeals to a higher order that dismisses the charge of their civil disobedience. Remember Moses' parents? We're told in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, they did the same. Daniel, like I said, in Daniel 6, 10 through 13, so there are orders that man puts out through the government, through the kingship, whatever. But yet, Moses' parents, Daniel the prophet, and now here are the two apostles. They're saying, there's a higher order that we answer to. We don't answer to you guys. We weren't trained by you guys. You guys think we're nothing, but that's the point. If petty little Galilean fishermen can boldly present the gospel and we have tens of thousands of followers and little churches are popping up. People are leaving the synagogue. People are leaving the temple. And now, without a doubt, this man who's about 40 years old is healed, and you cannot deny that. And we're saying we did in the name of Jesus, and you had Jesus Christ crucified. What does that say about you guys? And yet, they are standing behind the power of man, which you and I know is nothing. It's nothing. This is quite extraordinary, given the fact that Peter and John are two untrained men in, in the law. So my friend, the other thing I want to point out about being a bold witness, do not let certain circumstances in your life, like for example, well, I was, I was, I was born with, with, you know, with being dyslexic or I was born with a disability or I was born poor or I don't have this or I don't have that. We make excuses all the time. You know, I was not born into a family with a lot of money. I, would, I, I have dyslexia. So I have, I struggle even still to this day, but by the grace of God, and please hear me, when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you're obedient, you want to live that out, God will use you in extraordinary ways. And you let him use you because you trust him. And when you do stand before kings and queens, if you will, 
like Paul later did. And I'm thinking about Ravi Zacharias who recently had, had passed away and God had used him uh, in my life to speak truth over me to, to go out in faith because I was saying, well, I'm not this educated person. I don't have this. I don't have that. And Ravi says, if the Holy Spirit's with you, if God has called you to do something, do it. And now this is coming from Ravi who at 17 tried to commit suicide. So we can't look at Ravi later in life and say, well, I'm not as smart and brilliant. At one point, he was like Peter and John. He was untrained. He didn't have a lot to go off of. And they were opposing the Sanhedrin. They were going toe-to-toe. And it, again, this is not a win or loss column type of thing because they're competitive, you know, uh, like that. They were humble servants, but they were not going to bow to the wishes of man. And I think a lot of times we do that or we make the excuse, I'm just not good enough. I pray that as you're looking at this right now, as I have often, my friends, I'm telling you, time and time again, I've looked at this passage. And when it says, we cannot but speak, I'm saying, God, if you've given me this message, I'm going to speak this message and let you do what you will to do with it. That's up to you. That's not up to me. I just need to be obedient. Notice in verse 21, and when they had further threatened him, they let them go, finding no way to punish. And that means they couldn't keep them bound up, meaning they couldn't uh, continue to keep them uh, being arrested or, or flogging them at this point. So the council, they never allowed rebuttals to their rulings. That's important to understand, which goes back to the boldness of Peter and John. They never allowed rebuttals. And yet, what did Peter and John do? They gave a rebuttal. The healing of the lame man by Peter was too convincing that the religious leaders could only threaten them to stop spreading the gospel message. So guess what? The Sanhedrin at this point, they lose. But now notice in verse 23 through 31, it says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city... There were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So Peter and John, they returned to the same, I believe, upper room where the congregation of disciples and apostles had been meeting and praying. You go back to Acts chapter 1 verse 13 and we'll see later in Acts chapter 12 verse 12. So this room was kept for them in Jerusalem. Now remember, when they heard this, they lift up their voice to God. This phrase, sovereign Lord, as they prayed, this means absolute master. They're, co- they're coming before God. When hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a reverent prayer. God, you who are sovereign, you who are, who are the absolute master, the sustainer of the heavens and the earth. You have complete ownership. I love this because they're contrasting the Sanhedrin, the power of the religious leaders to the power of God. These men think they're high and mighty, that they are the ones that, dic- that to uh, dictate things and determine things. 
And when they send out threats that you follow them, they're saying, no, God, you're the ownership of our lives. We heed you, you who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them. The apostles and the followers of Christ, they gather and guess what? They pray Psalm 146 verse 6. And they do this in honor of God's deliverance and in God's sovereignty. This is actually one of the passages that I give sometimes when I encourage people when that when you pray, that you also pray the scriptures just like we see the early church doing here. Now notice when they're referring to David here in verses 25 through 26, they quote from Psalm chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 in their prayer to apply similar threats that David faced with Gentile nations. I love this because they're pulling from scripture and as, again, Daniel was bold, Peter and Paul, or, or excuse me, Peter and John were bold as David was being threatened in his faith back in Psalm 2. They're being threatened to this very day and they pull from there. And then he gives a list in verses 27 and 28 and he's talking about God's decrees would not be hindered by man's limited authority. And then in verse 29, he says, and now Lord, look upon their threats. So with complete candor, this boldness they had, they're completely open and honest about what they were enduring, what they were going through. And the early church, notice they don't pray, and I love this, this is great insight. They don't pray, God, I pray this oppression ceases. See, that's the difference, my friend. When you go in the 1040 window, when you're in, an, in a hostile environment where the government will silence you, arrest you, kill you, threaten you, whatever, because of your faith in different parts of the world, and you look at parts of America, and again, we're so thankful for our religious freedom, but that is the difference oftentimes when we pray that we say, Lord, I pray this ceases, I pray this ends, when a lot of the persecuted churches praying, what? They're not praying for the oppression to cease, but that God would give them boldness to speak in the midst of great opposition because they know that's not going to go away. And so, Lord, I pray that we will be bold in the midst of this opposition. That is what Peter and John and the church pray in the upper room. Notice in verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal signs and wonders. I love this too, because they want to see greater things take place. We as Christians are not just to be status quo. We're not just to lament about things or because something failed or it didn't turn out the way that we want it to do. We're like, okay, God's not moving. And we don't anticipate even greater signs and wonders. That should be accomplished in the name of Jesus. That's what they're praying for. So in our prayer lives, as we pray to be a bold witness, you know, you look back at your life and, okay, if you witness to five people, God, I pray I witness to 10 people. I pray that 10 people turns into 20. I want to see greater signs, Lord. I want to see wonders being accomplished in your name. Notice it says that you stretch out your hand. This is a phrase depicting God's mighty power and protection in the Jewish scriptures. You see this in Deuteronomy 4, verse 34. So they're pulling another phrase in scripture and saying, Lord, stretch out your hand, move with your power, your protective power. So even though they're not praying for the oppression to end, they're praying for greater boldness in the midst of the, the, the opposition because they are saying, God, your hand will go before us. As you guided Moses and the Hebrews out of the land of Egypt, you will guide us to do the same. And notice we're told in verse 31 that the place where they were shook. The shaking was a sign of God's presence, that God was with them and that he was answering their prayers. We see this in Exodus 19, verse 18, 1 Samuel 12, 17 through 18, Isaiah 6, verse 4. So as God has moved upon people, he is certainly moving upon them. And number five now, as we look at verses 32 and 37, the expansion of charity and love break out of this. 
So look at verse 32. It says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common and with great power with the apostles, they were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses, they sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So here we see, my friends, uh, several things. We see that as, as they gather as a church, the Holy Spirit is moving. The place shakes. The boldness that they had in opposition transfers to charity, looking out for one another, caring for the needs. I think a lot of times in ministry, people expect a lot from the public. You know, support my ministry, give to me. And so that person's out there and they're, they're putting out resources and they're, and they're teaching the masses, but they don't really give back in, 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 in not, not, not just in financial ways, but in friendship and, and caring really truly for the people. And I love this about Peter and John because they're not, they're not uh, looking to oust the Sanhedrin to overtake them, to become them and take over all of their riches. They're meeting the needs of the church. And once again, Luke mentions the early church was like-minded they're united in purpose and love. Go back to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 46. They not only spread the gospel, but when they spread the gospel, they spread charity and they spread service to one another. Let that be a lesson for all of us. When you survey a ministry, don't just look at the intellect. Don't just look at the substance. Look at the heart. Don't look at just the intellectual arguments. Look at their charity. Look at their service. When you're around these people and they speak eloquently the gospel of Jesus Christ, how eloquently do they live out that faith in their own lives? How do they care and love the people around them? So they were meeting the needs of people. They were like-minded. They were one purpose. And again, as Christians, when we pray that we be bold in our witness for Christ, may we also pray that our church is united because when we have people who stand with us, when we remain united together, we can overcome things. Notice in verse 33, and with great power, the apostles are giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and great grace. That means great favor was upon them all. So more and more Jews, as they're coming to hear and seeing this like-mindedness, remember in the Sanhedrin, it's like it's their way or the highway and you're going to be threatened. And you have to give, 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 give. And they're advanced in, in, in years and they're advanced in, in money. Remember, in that time, money was a symbol. That's where a lot of the prosperity doctrine comes. They, if you were wealthy and you weren't sick, it's because your piety is because of your holiness. It's almost like something you achieved. And when you, if, if you struggled, if you were not as sophisticated, if you didn't have a lot of money and you're sick, it's because God was cursing you. You weren't living a life that was holy before God. So people boast in their piety, but notice great favor was being extended to the church because they were seeking Jesus. They were hearing about the testimony of the apostles and the apostles are talking about the love of Jesus Christ, Jesus's resurrection, how Jesus fulfilled prophecy. They love the Jewish scriptures and they're seeing how Jesus fulfilled their word that God had given them since the days 
of Moses. So they're gravitating towards this. The, the oppressiveness of religiosity, they had enough. And God was using his people now to continue the message, to continue expanding Christodome. And in verse 34, there was not a needy person among them. So in ancient times, remember, leaders were assigned to gather and distribute supplies uh, to the people. So let's not think that the, the temple itself was not producing, you know, charitable works, but it was being manufactured and regulated where these uh, Christ followers, the early church, they were giving out of, uh, of not a necessity. They, and it wasn't saying like, I'm giving you because I have a lot to give. The early church freely gave of their own possessions to meet the needs of people around them because they cared. And I got to ask you, as we're talking about being a bold witness, part of being a bold witness is when God tells you to give, that you give. And you give generously and you give abundantly. I don't have as much as, as possibly you listening or watching right now, but you know what? I'm to give according to what God has called me to give as he's calling you to give what you need to give. Now notice in verse 36, Joseph, who's also referred to as Barnabas, is mentioned here. Now notice he's a native of Cyprus. This was an island in the eastern part of the Mediterranean Sea. It was about 60 miles west of the, uh, of the Syrian coast. And he sells a piece of, of, of land that's filled. And notice he lays it at the apostles' feet. Now Barnabas, this, this would be the one who would become a great companion to Paul. God would use him in Acts chapter 9, verse 27, Acts chapter 11, verse 22, Acts chapter 13, all the way to chapter 15, verse 41. He was a Levite. And now this is important to know in historically fashion that many Jews fled to Cyprus during the Maccabean revolution and Levites were forbidden to own land according to Numbers chapter 18, verse 20 and Deuteronomy 10, verse 9. So perhaps at this point in time now later, uh, Barnabas, who's referred to as an apostle, that just means as a colleague, as, as one of fellowshipping, one who's who's doing the work of the apostles, but not one like them because he didn't qualify according to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. But perhaps at this point, the law didn't apply in Cyprus or they no longer observed it. That eventually happened with some of the laws. They, they were abolished, like the, the Liverite laws later on. But notice he has land and he sells it and he brings it at the feet of the apostles. So Barnabas's action of giving is contrasted that we're going to see later to Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, where they sell land, they, they hoard some of the cash, they lie about it, and then they give to the church. But we see this generosity of a, of a person like Barnabas. So in closing, my friends, I know it's a lot, but as we look through Acts chapter 4, hopefully in your life, you'll say, you know what? I can't be making excuses. I may not be as bright as so-and-so, but I can learn from so-and-so. Go on their YouTube channel, read some of their books, be inspired, find ways that you can grow in your faith. There are a lot of things that I've learned that I did not learn in the traditional sense of education, but I learned being self-taught or I've learned, you know, sitting for hundreds and hundreds of hours through the years uh, with Dr. Norman Geiser and not only reading his books, watching his old stuff, you know, lectures and debates he gave, but over a meal and discussing certain matters and trying to bring clarity. And then when we were writing the Q&A book together and sitting with him uh, countless times through, through uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, uh, talking about a lot of the topics that we address in the Q&A book. And those are great times that you really find yourself and you grow in your faith. So make sure you have a mentor or two in your life who can really teach you the scriptures. But there are no 
reason why we make the excuses we make. It's all in our head. And if Peter and John, who are untrained Galilean fishermen, can do what they did here in Acts chapter 4, you can be used like God used them. Again, not as an apostle, but as a follower of Jesus Christ, the same Holy Spirit that came upon them can come upon you. So I pray that that encourages you guys as we looked at Acts chapter 4. Remember, if you love what we do here on Stand Strong in the Word, I can use your prayers. And we are desperately in need of your prayers. We are praying, number one, that God would continue to fund this ministry so that we can continue to put it out there as we're doing audio and video now. Uh, the market out there gets very expensive. So if, if this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you prayerfully consider going to standstrongministries.org, click on the donate button and give whatever God has called you to give because we take those funds so that I could go out there and equip people just like you, churches, the next generation, millennials, Gen Z. We're putting out books in this podcast and different videos. And we have we do a lot of consulting with church leaderships. And we work with various different groups like Summit Ministries and Focus on the Family and others. And so we can use your support. Don't just listen to this podcast. Find ways that you can be involved. If, if, if all you could do right now is pray, pray for us. If maybe you're listening to this and you have a small group, take the material, take the videos, take the audibles, take, take the, the notes and use them in your sphere of influence. And if God has blessed you maybe with $50 or 500 or 5,000 and you want to give to continue to help us train the next generation of Christians, we would greatly appreciate that. So go to standstrongministries.org. All of our information is there. And if you have any questions, email me at info at org. I love to hear from you guys. So thank you guys for watching. Thank you for listening. And until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the word of God.